This is the Frogcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. I know a bye week is kind of boring. It was for me. I watched a little less football than I usually do on a Saturday, but it is awesome on a Sunday morning to find out that College Game Day is coming to TCU. Cowtown is going to host College Game Day. It is coming to our city. We are so excited. Frogs are going to be hosting West Virginia this Saturday. Amazing electric environment will be right there on campus. We're going to talk about game day. We're going to talk about West Virginia. That and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, tonight I got Daniel and Jeremy with me, and I'm so uh, pumped up to just be talking. I sound like I'm an 18-year-old, but I'm so excited about College Game Day coming to campus. I'm not going to lie. I didn't think it was going to happen, but how big a deal is this, Jeremy, and how, what, what kind of uh, environment are you expecting this Saturday at Amon Carter and on campus? Well, I think it's great. I mean, not only do you get the national exposure, but it's, it's deserved for both TCU and West Virginia. They're both top 25 teams. TCU's number eight. West Virginia's number 23, and it's going to be a great environment. Every time TCU's been on college game day, it's been it's been awesome. It's been a long time since they've been on campus. I think since 2009 when uh, TCU played Utah, and and uh, man, just going back to that day, I wasn't part of that, but just talking with Jeremiah and and uh, him being there all day, and I was actually out of the state at that time, so I didn't get a chance to experience the whole game day atmosphere, but. Man, it's 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 going to be electric. You get a chance to go out on the TCU campus commons, and last time the the crowd was there, it was a huge turnout. Uh, I mean, the fans have been waiting for this. They've been calling for game day to come down to TCU, and uh, it's been it's been eight long years since they've been down here, and this is a great opportunity for TCU to really get their brand out there on the national spectrum and uh, just show that TCU fans are great. You know, everyone down here knows they're great, but it, it gives them a chance to really go out and and uh, show the rest of the nation that they deserve to have college game day just as much as some of these other schools and uh, these programs from the SEC or Pac-12 and some of those bigger conferences. Yeah, but I'm excited for them, man. I'm excited for TCU and West Virginia. It's going to be a great game day atmosphere at 2.30, and it's two really good football Daniel, teams Daniel, I know you joked last week head. that you thought game day would be going to London or you know maybe the Eiffel Tower because there's so many college football fans there. You know, when when they went to Times Square, I thought, oh, my gosh, this is just them finding a way to basically go to Alabama five times and then go to New York once. Were you surprised that they actually pulled the trigger when you see there's Michigan, Michigan State, LSU, Florida? Did you think they were actually going to pull the trigger on this? Um, No, not really. I was actually kind of surprised. Uh, I figured it would be Michigan, Michigan State, uh, especially after LSU and their fantastic performance. Um, against Troy. <laughs> we'll get uh, to that. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah. And um, Florida was, you know, eh. But so I, I didn't think they'd go to that game at all, um, even if um, even if LSU had won, but they didn't. Uh, no, I think it's great. Uh, I, I, You know, when they were there in 2009, you know, it, it was great exposure, but it was the rise of everything. You know, um, it'd be another year or so. Um, before the Rose Bowl, and then you know a couple of years later, you're getting the Big Twelve, and now after all that's happened and the way social media is, I think the exposure is pretty much priceless uh, for for a school like TCU um, to get that kind of you know people talking about it. Uh, they're 
doing stories and you know i I haven't watched the show that much lately because it's gone downhill but uh i'm excited to have him here for the exposure and i think it's uh it's gonna do wonders and uh should be a good game too yeah, I think it was uh, Saturday morning when I saw the first lady of TCU football, Miss P, was tweeting out that, hey, game day, we'd love for you to come to Fort Worth. And at that point, I kind of wondered, like, you know, are they are they setting this up right now? And maybe we're kind of laying the groundwork for, hey, we went out there, we put our brand out there, and now they're here. So I don't know what happens behind the scenes to make that happen, but it's going to be a busy week for the TCU athletic department. It's going to be a busy week for the media department, social media department. But I think it's going to be worth it. Like you said, this is priceless in terms of you know campus exposure, energy for a whole new generation of TCU fans. And you know that, I, I assume that campus commons is going to be packed Friday night, people camping out just so they can be down there and uh, you know watch Lee Corso kind of drool on himself and make predictions. I think it's great. I'm so excited that they're doing that. <laughs> What, what, I, what I love about it, Jeff, is that the fact that it's not a night kickoff, it's actually 2.30, so you still have a lot of that energy from the from the college game day atmosphere. Then you wait just a couple hours before you go into the stadium, and that energy carries over into the stadium instead of waiting all day and then playing a game at night at 7 o'clock. Although night games are awesome at Amon Carter, uh, I, I like the fact that the game's at 2.30, uh, you know, a national stage, and it's, it's going to be a great chance for exposure for TCU this, this Saturday. Yeah, I was actually thinking the same thing because you don't have that six, seven-hour delay. You're there there in the morning. You do game day. You go tailgate for a couple hours, get some food in you. Maybe some of those kids go take a nap, and then everybody get to the stadium about 1.30. I think think it is actually laying out as a perfect scenario. And with this game being on FS1, that was the biggest shock that ESPN still came there. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah, the, the, when they were back in 2009, when they when they last came to Fort Worth, it was CBS Sports that they were actually playing Utah on, um, which was, you know, everyone talked about, oh, they won't come to Fort Worth because the game's going to be on CBS. But, you know, everyone was kind of surprised back then, and I'm sure they are now. But here's a fun fact for you guys. Do you know what TCU's record is when college game day is present? 5-0. Five 5-0. And five and oh. Five and oh. That's exactly right. 5-0. and oh. I think I think Corso's going to put, well, the, put your- the frog head on again. He's going to put it on backwards. Lord help him. Because <laughs> he did in uh, he did in fourteen. Yeah, he's he's oh, he's he done put a it on backwards in like West Virginia. Too. You know, I do want to add for for all the 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 negative comments about the Big Twelve nationally and how we don't hold our own. You know, West Virginia TCU has been game day twice in what this is four years, fourteen, and now seventeen, and I think that's pretty cool. I think it's good for TCU. I think it's good for West Virginia, and obviously, you know, ESPN is is got a job, you know, and that's to make money for their shareholders and to see that we're a venue that they think is worthy of of bringing game day to. I think it speaks to the Big Twelve, and I think it speaks to us as as teams that represent the Big Twelve well. So that's one of the little icings on the cake of this whole thing, in my opinion. Well, not only do we have game day coming to campus, we got a game. And I know that Coach Patterson will be able to get those kids locked in and not just be distracted by what's going on, as much energy as there's going to be around campus. But we've got a big game against West Virginia. You know, we started off 4-0. We got this bye week. And it could all go to the crapper if we lay an egg against West Virginia. So I just want to add this little commentary before we break into uh, breaking down the game. 
If you hear this, and we're getting a record number of downloads, so we're getting a lot more people every week. If you listen to this and you can get to that game, you better get your behind there. I do not want to give the visual opening of Eamon Carter to come on right before kickoff and there's 5,000 empty seats. There is no excuse for you to not be at this game, to be in your seat at 145, to be there for the crowd, to be there for the fight song, to be there for the national anthem. Get there, get to the game, make this an environment that West Virginia does not want to play in. You don't have to throw tortillas or be like an inbred hillbilly to make it a great environment for TCU football. So I really hope that we're able to, if you get, if you hear this, get there. I want to have a home field advantage for the Frogs, especially get a good visual um, of the stadium and, and show that we support this team. This is, this is as big a stage as we can play on. So... Jeremy, I want to start with you as we dig into West Virginia and break down what we're going to see when the Mountaineers come to Fort Worth for game day and for the 2.30 kickoff. You know, just what do we know about West Virginia and what do you see as the game plan, especially what, you know, will the game plan shift any from what we did to Oklahoma State to what we can do against West Virginia? What do you see the Frogs rolling out on the field that, it, that we're going to bring to the table? And do you think it's going to be enough? We'll talk about predictions, but do you think we're going to match up well against the Mountaineers? Yeah, I think so. This is going to be another good test for them to, to go against a good offense. Um, the one thing that West Virginia has a little bit different from other from other teams they've played so far is Will Greer is not only a good passing quarterback, he can run a little bit too. He's, he's third in the conference right now with 376 all-purpose yards per game, and that's that's a pretty good number. I mean, if he, you know with 376, almost 400 yards, you're doing something right, throwing and running the football, but they've got a, a great running game. Justin Crawford leads the Big 12 in rushing with 112 yards, and then you got Kennedy McCoy that is uh, in, also in the top 10 in the Big 12. I think he averages close to 70 yards per game, but they've got a, a really strong running game. Uh, good thing for uh, TCU is they've got a really good, uh, strong run defense, and on the flip side for West Virginia, they've got uh, a decent defense, but their run game, their run defense is is uh, very suspect right now. They're they're giving up almost 230 yards per game, and I think that's got a it's got a rank of near the bottom of the Big 12. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's you know 226, 230, somewhere around there. They're they're giving up a lot of uh, a lot of yards on the ground, and for TCU, they're running the football so well right now with Darius and. And uh, Shaywo, and you hope to have Kyle Hicks back, which everyone expects to, for Kyle to be back against West Virginia. And they're running behind a really, really strong offensive line right now. But it's going to be a tough test. I mean, this is going to be another very savvy offense. TCU's going to see a very good quarterback, a very good run game. They've got some good receivers. And uh, right now, West Virginia leads the Big 12 in points per game, 48.8 points per game. And their only loss, guys, is – against Virginia Tech and Virginia Tech up to yesterday was undefeated ranked 16 in the country and they only lost to them by a touchdown so this is a very good West Virginia team uh, that's coming to Eamon Carter and uh, uh, it's I think Jeff you mentioned earlier this year you didn't know what West Virginia was going to be this year and I think they're kind of showing everyone that last year really wasn't a fluke right now through four games they're a pretty good football team it's going to be a real tough test for TCU. Yeah, they looked good against Virginia. Uh, Virginia Tech looked good um, against Clemson. Of course, Virginia Tech beat uh, West Virginia on that opening night on that Sunday game. Uh, they lost uh, 31-24. But since then, they've played East Carolina, who's a bad 
team, beat them 56-20, beat Delaware State 59-16, and then got in a shootout with Kansas 56-34. And all of, what all of those games have in common is that, that West Virginia does struggle with the run game. So it is going to be interesting to see the way that, that Sonny Cumbie kind of puts his hands on this offense and takes it in the direction that he wants to go. Because I think I think West Virginia is stout. I think that, you know, if, I, if you put West Virginia and Oklahoma State on a neutral field, it's probably pokes by three and a half. But if we can run the ball, if we can stand, we, we have the opportunity to do to West Virginia what we did to Oklahoma State, and they're going to be susceptible to the run if we can establish that up front. Now, one of the problems that we're going to have up front is uh, Patrick Morris is going to be out for several weeks. We know he's not playing against West Virginia. Uh, what are the, what's going to what's going to be some of the realignment on the offensive line? Who do you see needing to step up, Jeremy? And what are some uh, alignment changes that might be taking place that you've heard about? Well, I think they still put Slopeman over there at center. I mean, you've got a Remington, Remington Trophy uh, nominee. I mean, that goes to the nation's best center. And uh, I know some people probably wouldn't want to see Austin go from guard back to center, but that's really uh, a need right now for them. He's he's played the position really well the last couple seasons. He's As he made the uh, change when Patrick went out against Oklahoma State, the offensive line still just motored down Oklahoma State. They just kept going, going right at him. Uh, I think if uh, Austin goes to center, you'll see guys like Cordell uh, come in and play some right guard or left guard. I'm sorry. And uh, he really came in late in the game against Oklahoma State and did re- did pretty well. Uh, he's he's one of those guys that they talked really well about during spring camp and then came you know coming into in fall camp. He did really well. So I think right now you're going to probably see number 70 lining up at left guard if Austin's out there at center. Um, it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, they really only have seven really good offensive linemen. And, and when you look at a, a starting five, that's really only two backups. So that was the kind of the main thing they wanted to do these, uh, past two weeks, heading up to West Virginia is find another guy that can really, uh, add some depth to the, to the defensive line or to the offensive line. Sorry. And, uh, you know, Cordell is probably that guy. Trey Elliott's another guy they look at. Right now, it's kind of slim. I haven't heard of any uh, special changes or anything right now that's going to, you know, throw a, you know, different look at West Virginia. But I would, I would fully expect number fifty-one to come out there at center at two thirty on Saturday. Is Trey Elliott healthy? Is he is he good to go for Saturday? To the best of your knowledge. <laughs> to the best of my knowledge, he is. Uh, it's basically Cordell is going to be the backup. I mean, be the left guard from, from what okay. I understand right now. So it, you know, he came in and got a lot of action against Oklahoma State, and that's who I fully expect to go out there against West Virginia. But they've done some different things in the past that I really didn't expect. So it could be, uh, you know, any. I would say it's it's. I keep saying it's going to be Cordell, but it wouldn't surprise me if they had Matt Pryor over there playing left guard and someone else is playing right guard for Pryor, and you know they just do so much shifting on the offensive line that it's really hard to keep up with. That's why I kind of laugh when people are asking me, hey, who's the first team and second team the first one or two days of fall camp because it changes so much. And with Chris Thompson, it's it's kind of the same. The rotation is is uh, so prevalent that it's really hard to keep track other than the left and right tackle of uh, you know what guys are playing certain spots. But I would say on Saturday, I would expect Austin to be center and Cordell to be left guard. 
Sounds good. I only asked about Trey because, Trey Elliott because I thought he did such a good job at the end of last season, especially against Baylor. So um, hopefully he's he's going to be on the depth chart and being able to to make an impact if if, if unfortunately we find ourselves in that spot. So. Daniel, we think about this West Virginia game, and especially as it, as it relates to Big 12. Since 2012, the Frogs are three and two against West Virginia. A couple of exciting overtime, you know, overtime win in 2012, uh, being able to win in, in 15, uh, you know, in, in, you know, 14 and 15. The, you know, the exciting game in 14 up there. 15, we blew them out. Three and two since joining the Big 12. Who do you think is built better over the next to win for the next ten years between TCU and West Virginia? Because you know West Virginia fans, I, I, I frame it this way: West Virginia fans feel chronically underrated and unappreciated as members of the Big 12. They talk about you know I hear this: we're a national brand, we're the kind of team that you should be glad is in the Big 12. And you know honestly, I could take BYU and in, in West Virginia and pick them for for all I care about and who's a member of the Big 12. Where do you see West Virginia as a national program, not just wins and losses? And how do you compare TCU and West Virginia moving forward in their trajectory of their programs for the next 10 years? Ooh. Well, Sorry, um, that was five questions in one. I realized that about a third of the way through. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, keep it simple, I guess. Who's more built uh, or built better for 10 years of success? Well, of course, I'm going to say TCU. Um, good answer. I, I think, yeah, I think it's, um, in a lot of ways, a bigger program, uh, nationally, but that's it, because we've done, you know, really big things nationally, Rose Bowl, Peach Bowl, et cetera. West Virginia, um, is a slightly bigger, well, slightly, but they're a bigger school, but they're not, a, you know, a Texas A&M or anything. Um, so they got a bigger fan base, but they're very isolated. Um, they're also way out there as far as the big 12, uh, geographically, um, so, and they probably just they may not have the the big fat cat donors that TCU has. Uh, they have some serious money. Uh, all colleges do, but TCU exceptionally uh, has that. So I, I really I feel that you know it's not all that close. But I don't think that they're necessarily you know crap. I think I like West Virginia. Um, I like uh, pretty much everything they do, uh, except for when we're playing them. So if I left anything out, you can uh, remind me of all your questions. So you're saying that uh, maybe being the general manager of the Piggly Wiggly does not give you the same economic capital to invest in a football program like it does for some of those donors that have their own luxury box at TCM. Uh, yeah, something Piggly like Wiggly. that. Come on, man. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm sorry. I know you got those out there in Azel. I, I apologize. I, I retract the Piggly Wiggly comment. <laughs> yeah, I just ate there tonight, dang it. I know. Nothing like a little Parker County Piggly Wiggly. That's right, man. <laughs> no, I'm not I, a Piggly Wiggly. I know. We're, we've all lived in Parker <laughs> County. It's all right. <laughs> No, I ask that because that that is that is one of the the, the reoccurring themes. I got I got numerous 
messages on the Frogcast Facebook page from people that had, I have no clue how they stumbled onto our podcast from West Virginia that said, I can't believe you talk about us like this. I can't believe you don't respect our program like this. I respect Dana Holgerson, and I think he's going to put a good product on the field, and I think that he's going to have uh, his players ready to go for this Saturday as well as for seasons to come. But I've never quite bought into the West Virginia is Virginia Tech. West Virginia is, is North Carolina. West Virginia is, is, is not Georgia Tech. So um, that, that's, that's kind of where, where I see this. And I think they're going to have a good team. I think they're good for the Big 12. But it's, it's just kind of been this ongoing uh, nipping at my ankles from West Virginia fans for about four or five years on social media. And I, I will freely admit, maybe I invite some of it with Piggly Wiggly comments. So. Are you sure? I, I thought it was Western Virginia. <laughs> you know, I've heard this. I, I, I don't know if it was Jamie or Plunkett or Melissa that started that. But whoever launched that hashtag, I, I say congratulations. Well done. Because I uh, I can get I can appreciate a good harmless troll and that is definitely a good harmless troll. Uh, that's a good one. <laughs> if you're on Twitter, hashtag Western Virginia, and you'll get a response really really quick. <laughs> uh, let's flip over to the game this weekend. Let's start with this, uh, JC. Let's go with you, buddy. Prediction for a breakout player this weekend. Who's gonna uh, Who's gonna really assert themselves in the game this weekend? That you're like, dang, we hadn't see that coming. Darius Anderson. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would be all for that. <laughs> no, Darius is uh, – it, man, it's great to see how great he's done the first few games of the season. And I know I'm getting off track here, but I just love it, – it's funny. I was I was talking – I have to tell you guys a story. Uh, I was at the local high school game Friday night and uh, had some buddies come up. They know I do the whole TCU bit and everything else. And one guy comes up to me and says, you know what? I think Darius Anderson might be the best running back in the nation. And I said, why do you think that? He goes, man, he's just so explosive. He just, he hits the hole so fast. He's so fast. He reminds me of Ezekiel Elliott. And I was like, you know what? That, that is a pretty good comparison. He looks kind of like him, wears the shirt kind of midriff and runs, runs real, real hard, just like Zeke does. But I was, I was just amazed because this is coming from a Longhorn fan. You know, this, this guy loves, you know, bleeds orange, burnt orange, and just people talking about Darius Anderson. He's, he's getting more notoriety now, uh, after the, especially after the game against Oklahoma State. More people are, are finding out about Darius Anderson. And he didn't know all the backstory of how Alabama and A&M and even Texas had come into the picture for Darius and how lowly recruited he was until late his senior year uh, when he was rushing for all those yards and touchdowns uh, leading George Ranch to the state championship. But back on topic – the uh, the guy I think that could really have a breakout game, uh, that's a tough one because some of these guys have kind of already had breakout games, and we're talking a lot about the offense and and defense. But uh, I'm gonna say I want to I want to say Tyslanina might have some critical catches in this game. Um, he's not gonna he's not gonna beat the uh, defense vertically. He's not gonna outrun anyone on a 70 yard slant and go. Uh, but I do think he comes down with some timely catches, some something that's been missing kind of the last couple of weeks, uh, some some crucial catch, catches from the receivers. And uh, I think he's going to be a guy that we talk more about. And uh, my uh, breakout player part two would be Sean Nixon. I think Sean Nixon is really going to uh, come more involved into the offense and hopefully they get him more involved and let him run some jet sweeps, get him on some uh, – Nice post pattern to see what he could do, taking one to the house. 
Good selections. I like that. Daniel, you got anybody that you think is going to have a breakout game that maybe we haven't spent a lot of time with on the podcast? I was going to say Sean Nixon. Uh, I mean, we could be a we, – we, I mean, just because I go to a, a hamburger place doesn't mean you can't eat a hamburger. That's true. Okay, well, I was thinking Sean Nixon because when I'm thinking breakout game, I'm thinking like – you know, we saw Kennedy Snell with his crazy 70-yard, but actually it was only for about 14 yards or whatever it was, that run uh, gets Jackson State. Rager's had some good plays. So I'm, I'm, I don't know that they haven't had a breakout game yet, but we just haven't seen that much of uh, of Sean Nixon. He's had some, some you know, critical catches, including a, a touchdown, I think. And... Um, but I just feel like we're going to see more of him, uh, more uh, more of him be utilized. Uh, I think everyone else stays about at the same level of uh, activity, if you want to call it. But we see more of Sean Nixon because I think he's a dynamic piece that um, just hasn't really been used yet. We've been uh, – I don't know if we held anything back or anything, but it's just uh, just hadn't been there. But that that's my pick. Oh, I'm going to have two, and I'm going to go with Cole Hunt. I'm going to expect him to sneak out of the backfield if you can sneak out of the backfield at 6'7", 255 plus. But I think Cole Hunt is going to catch a big touchdown pass that they're, they've been sitting on a play to him. I don't know if it's going for two at a critical moment or third and, third and seven or third and goal at the seven, but I think Cole Hunt's going to come down with a big touchdown cast, uh, catch at a timely moment. And then the other guy, not to, not to kind of sound like what Jeremy said, but the fellow that I think is going to have a breakout game is Kenny Hill is going to hit a couple vertical passes in this game that is going to light the scoreboard up because, you know, Gibson, the defensive coordinator at uh, West Virginia, he loves to blitz. He loves to send the house. And we're going to have one of those fast guys that's just going to go break down the field. And Kenny's going to, you know, trust his receiver and lay it out there. And we're going to have, we're going to see some, some vertical touchdowns where Kenny Hill is able to stretch the field to throw off that West Virginia blitz package. And I expect, I, I expect that probably one of our freshmen is going to be on the receiving end of that. But I think the, the thing that we've seen lacking from Kenny Hill, getting the ball down the field, he's going to, he's going to rectify that this week and he is going to burn West Virginia and throw their defensive scheme out the window. So that's kind of the, the two things I'm banking on this weekend from the frog. So well, let's go ahead, and I know we do a prediction later on the page uh, during um, on, on the message board, but let's go ahead and do, let's just do a soft prediction here. What's your prediction for who's going to win in a final score, Jeremy? Uh, I'm, I'm going to say TCU's going to win. Uh, you get what did they say? You get three points just for playing at home. Um, I think yes. I, I think they can uh, really go out and score. I mean, last last time out against Oklahoma State, they really showed me something offensively and defensively. Um, it, it, it really showed me that I shouldn't doubt them any longer. Uh, West Virginia is going to be a very tough game. Um, they really, really put it to them last year up in Morgantown. I mean, it was one of those games like Oklahoma state was last year and Kansas state was last year where you just literally saw Gary Patterson team get stomped up and down the field. But, um, this year I think TCU is going to take it. I'm, I'm going to predict, uh, 45 to 31, in favor of the frogs. I think, uh, the strong rushing game continues. I think Kyle Hicks and Darius Sanderson kind of get the, uh, the share of the carries on the, the rushing game. And, uh, I think the receivers, I think Turpin's going to have a good game and I think the defense is going to do pretty well. I think it might be pretty close in the first half, but in the second half TCU's a different team and they're going to win going away, uh, win by 14, 45, 31. 
Daniel? Well, it kind of had me worried there that uh, we were going to have the same prediction again because I also have Frogs at 45, but I say West Virginia 21. Um, yeah, I like the defense. I, I like the um, – they'll, they'll, they'll connect on a few passes, but as far as the run game, we should just – we should stuff it, and um, um, I don't think they'll. Uh, I think eh, it'll be a little bit closer uh, at the half, but you know they break away in the second. The only thing that makes the only reason I didn't say twenty-one was just because of uh, Greer's ability to escape the pocket and get some yards with with his feet, because that's one thing that historically four-two-five defenses or under Gary Patterson they've always seem to have some trouble with running quarterbacks. Even, you know, a couple years ago when they were playing southeastern Louisiana, the guy comes out and rushes for 100-and-something yards on them. Um, but that's that's one thing that I think West Virginia does well is they have a good quarterback that can run, and that's one thing. Ben Hicks is not a very good running quarterback, although he looked like a magician escaping some of, uh, some of uh, TCU's blitzes. And then Mason Rudolph, I mean – even though he showed it against Texas Tech, he's really not much of a running quarterback. Not doesn't have the same kind of speed uh, Greer does as a dual threat quarterback. But man, we we're real close. I was about to say twenty one, Daniel, but I went ahead and went, put thirty one because I think he's good enough uh, to keep plays alive with his feet. Hmm. Well, I'm going to blow everybody out of the water. I'm going fifty two twenty eight. I think we are going to put some points on the board. Wow. And um, I think I, I, I don't believe that West Virginia is used to playing from behind. And when you haven't been in a dogfight, which we have been in two dogfights on the road, I think that's going to help us. I think we're going to be able to put some points on the board, and I think we're going to be able to pin them back. And they're not going to know how to take advantage of even the ability to kind of speed things up at the end of the game like Oklahoma State did two weeks ago I don't, or a week ago. I don't think they're going to be in a position to be prepared to know how to do that. It's not their nature. Even though they're a high-scoring offense, it's not run like Oklahoma. It's not run like Oklahoma State or the old Baylor team. I'm, I'm predicting a big margin of victory, and we'll see what's you know we'll see what happens. So that's that's kind of where I'm at on on our ability to beat West Virginia. Let's flip over to recruiting here real quick. I know that this is something that can be maximized, as we said, for social media and generating a lot of uh, interest in the university. Jeremy, what can we expect on visitors from this week? I know it's a Sunday evening when we record this, so we don't have a list of names in front of us. But how would the staff utilize something like College Game Day to really leverage recruiting, especially when it comes to getting kids on campus I, this week? I think, you know, for the most part, for official visits or anything like that, those those guys coming up for – you know, the trips that TCU pays all the money for. I, I think they're trying to hold off as late as they can to bring those guys up. Um, I talked to some folks the other day, and they were saying it, it, Texas will probably be the big weekend for a lot of the official visitors coming up. But I think, uh, you know, for the most part, it, it would be a great opportunity for them to have some of these uh, recruits come up unofficially, uh, some of the 2019 kids. And that's it's kind of where it's at right now. You You've got – 19 commitments with 2018 right now. They just got Ian Burnett today committed from Wimberley, Texas. Uh, so there's the really the 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 number of scholarships for 2018 is getting very very slim. I mean it's less than a handful right now. So really the focus is going to be on some of these 2019 kids. You're going to keep an eye on some of the other some of the other uh, 
commitments to other programs that are kind of struggling, the the LSUs or the uh, A&Ms, if something goes down over there and uh, later this year, if someone doesn't get his, I mean, hey, A&Ms three and one, aren't they four and one? But if something happens to someone, they're obviously going to keep a eye on those recruits. But it would be a great opportunity for them to, to have some guys come up. Usually it's about Wednesday or Thursday before we get a good idea of who's come, who's going to be up on campus, uh, whether it be official visitors or unofficial visitors. But I would expect uh, for the most part for it to be uh, a pretty well, well attended game. Uh, 2019 uh, recruits will probably be more prevalent than the 2018 recruits and maybe even some 2020 guys, some younger guys, but yeah, it should be a pretty good uh, list of recruits that show up and hopefully later this week, we'll get a list out like we do every Thursday or Friday and, and let the frog fans know who to keep an eye out for. And of course, we'll uh, try to get some pictures of those pictures of some of those guys before the game from a distance. Of course, we never go up and talk to those recruits while they're on campus um, for those games, but uh, we'll, we'll be sure to make sure we let everyone know who, who showed up. Why don't you take 10, 15 seconds and plug where we can uh, log on to the site. And if we're not a member, how to join Horn Frog Blitz. Cause that's one of the things that I think's made our show better in the last several months is, you know, we got all football and now we got this recruiting content. Tell everybody where they can follow you on, 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 on the Horn Frog Blitz and how they can log on. Hey, just go to hornfrogblitz.com. It's really easy. We typically have specials going on. It's, it's a great place to, to get all your uh, football and recruiting information. I mean, it's less than a cup of coffee a day. And uh, we're always posting on the message board. There's a very active message board right now during football season. Um, everyone gets on there, talks, uh, talks pretty much about anything they want to, football, recruiting, basketball, off-topic stuff. It could be something to do, you know, completely outside of football or any other TCU sports. But uh, at, on Twitter, I'm at, at jclarkhfb. But, and we have a Facebook page. Horn Frog Blitz uh, has a Facebook page. We can get some information out to you and, and see the links where you can click on and, and get some pretty good content. We, uh, we pump out close to, I think, about 80 stories a month. So that's basically three stories a day um, that Frog fans are getting from us on, on a football team or basketball or just general recruiting. And uh, we've been covering the team for, I've been personally covering it almost 13 years. Jeremiah's right behind me at about 12 years. So we've got plenty of experience, plenty of knowledge, and uh, pretty of uh, a, a, a good uh, amount of, uh, you know, good sources that we reach out to and they give us some good information. So it's a pretty good chance to uh, learn a little bit more about TCU football and the recruits and the guys that you're going to be watching the next four or five years. You mentioned basketball, and our own Alex Apple wrote me this week and said, hey, I want to come on and do some TCU basketball because we've got all got to learn how to be TCU basketball fans now. So we're going to have some basketball talk, and then in the very near future, they're firing up practice this week, I believe. So we're going to want to know more about it. Well, yeah, they just started last yeah, week. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, I was yes. out there. I was, I was out there. Yeah, it was – man, the not to get – you know, way off topic here, but man, the basketball team, it's, it's such a, a shell of its former self. I mean, it just so many athletes out there. I mean, it's just crazy the the transformation that's taken place since Jamie Dixon's been here and just the, the energy and the, and the, you know, anticipation of the season starting and, and, and those guys wanting to go out and prove that last year wasn't a fluke. And um, they're really expecting bigger things this year. They, they know that this year they can't go in to the big 12, uh, and sneak up on anyone. They've got a X on their back this year and they're, they're uh, getting talked about throughout the conference and 
there's a lot of high expectations this year. And only Jamie Dixon's second year, there's a lot of expectations for him to already go out and, uh, of course, take TCU to the big dance and hopefully bring home a Big 12 championship for that team. Yeah, I have a feeling we're going to have to learn how to follow the frog basketball, um, make that in center to our po- you know, central to our podcast, especially when that uh, that gap exists between bowl season and baseball. We've got some great stuff to fill it in with a championship basketball team. We'll have more on that in the future, of course. So good stuff, good stuff. All right, we want to switch gears here, just do some rapid-fire questions. A lot of this comes from the questions that we had on the message board, some questions that come from Twitter. We're going to start with you, Jeremy. Then we're going to flip to you, Daniel. Jeremy, you, you say as much or as little as you want about this. we got a new commitment today. Tell us about right. our latest commitment. Ian Burnett out of Wimberley, Texas. I love this kid. This was, this was a kid that they offered uh, last year, actually, after camp. And he's, a, he's an outstanding young guy, man. He just – uh, he, he's just got a great personality. I mean, I, last time I saw him in person, I, well, I saw him at the SMU game, but I didn't go up and talk to him. Um, like I said, we're not really allowed to go up and talk to recruits during games. But uh, when I saw him at the Naki camp, he just – he just came over and visited with me and Jeremiah for about 15 minutes, just talking, you know, just, just to hang out. And that's, that's just the kind of kid he is. He's just a really outgoing kid. Uh, we always kind of talked about, you know, where's, where's TCU standing this. And, and he, he does, a, he did a great job of really not showing his hands. He just, he, uh, kept everything close. Um, told me today, he talked with his parents and prayed about it a lot. And, basically said what what the name of the title of the story was is you know tcu was the clear-cut leader i mean this it's you know the, he after evaluating all these colleges Ole miss and missouri and colorado state and some of these other schools that had come in texas was showing them interest his older brother actually played at texas and his family is a texas family i believe his dad also played at texas so uh for that for the frogs to come in and and and, and get him is, is a pretty big gift for their 2018 class. I didn't know how much they were recruiting them because I was asking about offensive linemen and, and where they kind of stood. And um, from what everything I was gathering was that they were really looking for a tackle position. And, and although he plays tackle for Wimberley, he's six, four, 300 pounds. He'll probably play the interior up at TCU, either center or guard. And if you look at their roster this year, they lose, they lose Schlopman, they lose Patrick Morris and you're basically losing your number one and number two center. So they were, they're going to have a need for an interior lineman, especially at center uh, moving forward. But, yeah, I, I like this get. Um, it's going to shore up their line, and, it, and it's a guy that, you know, you're not going to have to worry about uh, making the grades in the classroom. He's a really good student, um, really good person off the field, and you know, I'm excited. He kind of reminds me of Wes Harris a little bit, just, just that kind of personality and uh, work ethic. He's going to come in and work hard, and I think he's going to do big things for the Frogs. That's great. Obviously, we had a LSU loss. Daniel, you got anything on that? Did you get to the press conference with Coach O? That's so great. I love that you're able to. the cookie monster stuff. Well, I, I got some uh, audio of Coach O as well. He said, we got all the LSU recruits, and we're going to hold a tiger. We're going to keep on them boys, and everybody's down. We're going to let us recruit. Well, on the off chance that LSU commits <laughs> are, are interested in looking anywhere, Jeremy, is there anybody on the LSU commit list or maybe even a recruit that you know is leaning towards LSU that you think actually has a chance of flipping to the Frogs? I mean, the, the main two names are Darius Washington and Micah Baskerville. I mean, Baskerville was in town for the SMU game, and um, 
obviously he's been looking at TCU for a while. Uh, Washington's another guy that TCU stayed active recruiting and they've got their good buddy, Justin Rogers. that's constantly in their ear about coming to TCU. And I think the more LSU loses, I think the chance chances just get better for TCU um, the, the only concern I have with Baskerville is whether or not they take another linebacker because they really only needed one linebacker this class. They got Ben Wilson, and I, I, I do know they were they were looking at Aaron Brule, and, and really if they were to get him, it was just more of a, uh, a reward for them to get him. They didn't really need another linebacker. It was just one of those things where they obviously were recruiting him and his good friend Jamar Chase, so – um, if you, if you had a chance to get Brule, um, he, they were going to take him because he is a, a very good athlete, but Baskerville is, uh, you know, he, if he makes the trip, he's committed to LSU and still makes the trip up to TCU unofficially for an SMU game of all games. That's a, that's a pretty good sign. I mean, it means that he's still at least listening to them and, uh, TCU is at least showing him some interest and Washington is a guy, they need another safety, they need another defensive back. He's not the biggest of guys, but he's just a playmaker and uh, kind of reminds reminds me a little bit of Nico Small. And what we've seen from Nico Small this year is a pretty good football player. So that's the kind of safeties they're recruiting right now. And uh, if they can get another steal out of Louisiana, that'd be great, especially for uh, the percep- perception for those recruits down in the boot because the boot produces talent year in and year out. And those guys uh, are starting to see more and more purple, but it's coming from TCU. Taj Williams, one of the most frequently discussed players or or almost non-players right now that's on our message board. People always want to know what's going on with Taj Williams. So I just want to get you on the record. We talked about this before the podcast started. You said you've said this online and people have missed it. Tell us where Taj Williams stands and maybe why he's not seeing the field right now. Give it to us as blunt as you can. I'll keep this as short and sweet as possible. I asked Coach Patterson specifically about Taj Williams, and it has nothing to do with off-field. It has nothing to do with something he did over the summer or anything like that. It just has to do with everything about the way he's producing. And he's just playing behind some very talented kids right now. Jalen Rager stepped up. Jalen Austin has stepped up. John DeArce has uh, stepped up. Uh, th- those those receivers right there are just making plays in practice. And if you don't make plays in practice, you're not going to see the field. I mean, that's a big reason why uh, not only Taj, but Emmanuel Porter really haven't seen the field. And I know it's crazy. I know it is crazy because Taj Williams was the leading receiver last year for TCU. He had some very, very good games. But that doesn't that doesn't mean you don't have to produce and, and, and work hard in practice. And uh, when you have young guys really wanting to go out there and uh, take – take the reins, take, take the, uh, the snaps away from a veteran. It can happen, especially when you have a guy like Jalen Rager that's coming in and making the kind of splash he is. So it, it has nothing to do with uh, anything he's done off field. It just has everything to do with the way he's producing in practice. End of story. You know, that's a great sales pitch to, to recruits that, you know, some, some programs overpromise playing time and then they get in a bind and the kid transfers. So they have to play a kid that they shouldn't play. I love the way that I assume the Frogs pitch this, which is you're going to be given every opportunity from the minute you step on campus to compete for the job. And if you're the best person that's going to put us in the best position to win the game, you're going to beat out somebody. I mean, you're going to start, whether that's beating out a freshman, beating out an All-American JUCO that we were so excited to, to land as a big recruit. 
there's Snell, there's Rager out there on the field doing what uh, they were given the opportunity to do and making the most of it. I hope that that is something that recruits see, especially in the in the big stars and the big stadium and the big lights that sometimes uh, can can be something that's like a tractor beam for recruits. I love to see what our freshmen are able to do. God bless you, uh, Taj. I hope you're able to get back on the field, but I'm glad that we got an environment where people are able to, you know, just let the best play. Final question for you. You know that you mentioned that. Go ahead. That you mentioned that, Jeff. I mean, if if there's a program out there that really just awards good practice players and, 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 guys that really just come in and bust their tails it's tcu i mean if, if there's another coach out there that will start a, a walk-on uh at a key position like safety when when coach patterson started jeff hooker or michael downing and those guys over scholarship players i mean just just take a look he's going to play the best player uh, regardless of his scholarship status regardless if he's a freshman or not if he's the best player at the position that kid is going to play and time and time again we always wonder, you know, just, I mean, we're all talking how many weeks ago, why in the world is Isaiah Chambers not on the field? What, why is he not, why is he not playing? You know, what, what's, what's going on there? And we come to find out that he's not really producing as much as we all thought a, a number eight ranked defensive end in the country would be producing. And, uh, that just goes to show Gary Patterson doesn't care about how many little stars you have next to your name. Yeah, he's going to recruit those big stars. Don't I don't want the star bunch coming after me saying stars don't, you know, of course stars matter, okay? I get that, guys. Patterson knows if a kid he gets is highly ranked or not. Trust me. I've had the conversation. Just know that he's going to play the best guy uh, regardless of certain scholarship status or uh, certain star status or if he's a senior or a freshman, whatever guy plays the best. That's who he's going to put out there. Last question for you, Jeremy. We've had so many questions about negative recruiting. Tell us a little bit about what gets said about the, about the frogs. And then if you're willing to go there, what do we say about other programs? Of course, when we do it, it's not negative recruiting. When somebody else does it, it's negative. When we do it, it's just com- compare and contrast and stating the facts. Where are we at on both sides of that issue? You know, I think the biggest thing – people probably say about TCU from what I've heard is they say some people can't play for Gary Patterson. Just they point to, um, I guess his mannerisms on the sideline. And, and if you've ever been to a TCU practice, you know, it's pretty intense. Uh, but that's just one side of Gary Patterson that, that people see, they don't see the other side. I was just having this conversation the other day that, you know, it, it truly is amazing how intense, he is uh, during a game or during practice, but it, the, as soon as the last whistle blows, he's he's completely changed. He's he, and this is a guy that literally let a knucklehead like me spend a whole day with him. So what's that that what's that say about him? I mean, he's he's not a an arrogant you know what people say about him, and and he's he's a really really down to earth guy, really really nice coach. And uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with people look at his demeanor on the sideline uh, and just the mannerisms and, and how intense he is. Cause there's, there's a lot of players guys that are really good football players, but there's a lot of players that can't take the kind of coaching Gary Patterson and his staff coach with. Okay. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but there's, there's, there's some players out there that just, just can't take that kind of coaching. They either fold or they get their feelings hurt and they want to leave the program. And I think that's the biggest, the biggest thing uh, people say about Gary. And the other, the only other thing I can think of is 
they try to say that he talks too much about other programs instead of his own program. And that I hear is the, that a lot. That is the, yeah, that is the that is the biggest lie in the world because that, that I mean, you're trying to he's trying to get a recruit. Okay, he's he's not going to talk bad about another program to get another recruit. What he is going to do is show facts about the other program. If, if, if he knows a kid is down to TCU and a couple other schools, he is going to do, along with his staff, they're going to do their due, dilig- due diligence to find out if, if, say, for instance, I'm hearing LSU is going to go to a new high-style offense. They're going to be throwing the ball vertically, everything else. Okay? Hypothetical, of course. Yeah, hypothetical, of course. <laughs> then you you do you do a little research on that on on the quarterback or on the coaches that are going to be running this offense. Okay, you look at their offense, and it's not what they're being told by that specific coach. Okay, well, this is what kind of offense they really run, and this is how they utilize their receivers. That's not sh- that's not negative recruiting. That's showing them. Okay, this this is what they really do. Okay. Now this guy's telling you what 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 they do. We're telling you what we do, and we're backing it up with facts. You said, you know, another situation. This this player had heard that Texas had a really high graduation rate for African American players. They did their research. They found out Texas did not have a great graduate graduation rate for their African American players. In fact, it was one of the worst. They showed that to that particular recruit, and people spun that and showed it as Gary being a negative recruiter against that particular school. So it's, it's just pointing out the facts, but when you point out the facts, facts hurt people's feelings sometimes when they can't sell their lie. And that's one thing he, he, he's uh you can't, <laughs> I don't want to say it on here. You can't BS, you can't BS coach Patterson. Okay. You can't, He's, he's going to call you out on it. He's going to call you out. He's going to call you out. He's going to back it up with facts. And that's what he does. He backs everything up with the facts that he's, he, he and his team are able to produce. And if they want to, if other programs want to call it negative recruiting, so be it. But you know, that's, that's, you know, that's the way he's always going to be. He's never going to change. That's good. I'm, I know people want to hear Speed, the answer baby. to that. So. <laughs> that's great. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be like force. That's all I want to say about that. And that's all I want to say about that. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to talk no more about that. Well, I just felt like running. So speaking of running, Daniel, a couple questions here for a quick hit. Who's going to have Yo. more carries? Who's going to have more carries on Saturday? Kyle Hicks or Darius Anderson? I'm going to go Darius Anderson. Um, I just think that they're just going to keep rolling with what's been working. Uh, if it doesn't work, they might switch back to Hicks a little bit, but um, uh, if it ain't broke, why fix it or whatever it's supposed to be? <laughs> yeah, feed him the ball. Good call. Let him, let him get the ball. Next question, Daniel, who's going to have more catches on Saturday, uh, Kennedy Snell or Jalen Rager? I'm gonna, let's go with Snell. He didn't do a whole lot in the last game. Uh, notably, and um, I bet they do, yeah, some shorter shorter passes to him, you know, slot type stuff. Yeah, I'm expecting both of them to have a couple of, you know, have some big big receptions, but I, th- I think you're probably right. I think Snell's going to have a big game. Who's got a better mullet, Will Greer or Mike Gundy? But does Greer really have a mullet? Because that just looks like long hair. 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, my certificate of authority on mullets expired last year. I don't know what the well, difference between a mullet and a county fair, a man that still has a trophy from the county fair in 1987, what that, what that is. Well, I'll say Will Greer has long hair. I used to actually have hair even longer than that. Um, I was headbanging and stuff. And, um, nice. yeah, yeah, I was pretty cool. Pretty cool guy. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but if you're just going to go mullet, it's got to be Gundy. Um, because Will Greer has the long hair in the front. Because for the mullet, it's got to be business in front, party in the back. Exactly right. That's right. I think you're right. I really think you're right. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna concede to you on that. Although I think Will Greer has like whatever the millennial version of the mullet is. I think that's kind of what he's going for. So isn't that like a man bun? <sighs> I don't know, man. No, but not that he has one. But that's the millennial version of a mullet. Just an awful idea that seemed like a good one at the time. Kind of like Denny's. <laughs> hey Dana, Dana kind of has that kind of has the hair like Bill Murray had in Kingpin, just a shorter. No, he's got he's got the hair like Wild Bill in Silence of the Lambs. Every time I look oh, yeah, at Dana, yeah. I think it's like, "Hello, Kyrie." And I'm like, "This guy's got like skins in the closet or something like that." So <laughs> he's got plenty. You know, I, oh, I could make so many jokes. I have jokes. I'm just gonna leave it right there. I'm just gonna leave that right there. Um. Daniel, percentage of West Virginia fans who think people are actually serious when they say that we're playing Western Virginia. If you don't know, that's a hashtag that uh, got started by our friends at Frogs of War, and it's just kind of metastasized, and it is hilarious. The responses are great. What percentage of WVA fans think we actually mean Western Virginia? Mm, at what time of day would they be thinking that? Because if it's after about... 9 a.m. The man be into the moonshine, so they may get confused. Um, I'll go with at least 12. 12 percent. Okay. Yeah. I gotta go higher. I think I'm gonna go more like 25 percent. But like like all things, the extreme is the loudest. But they've they've been pretty worked up about that. So if you haven't done it yet, if you're on Twitter, hashtag Western Virginia, you'll you'll get people popping into your mentions right away. Right. I'm away. gonna do it as soon as we're done. Jeremiah's Perfect. it'll be the hashtag. hashtag. As soon as he hears this, he's gonna start hashtagging it. Oh, he will. <laughs> he will. He's he's Alex Mott too. <laughs> Alex likes to get people riled up. Yeah, Jeremiah's got some great skills on Twitter. He knows how to use it, and he—it's—it's it's a great gift to watch him go go crazy on social media. Yeah, between Alex and Jeremiah, they might bring the whole state or or the region of Virginia, the western region of Virginia, to its knees. So, hopefully, we can back that up with a big win. This is my only caveat, TCU fans on Twitter: don't be Oklahoma State fans ten days ago. I mean, I think we're going to win. I think we're going to play well. But don't walk around talking about how this game's going to be over in the second quarter and Kenny's going to be on the bench in the fourth quarter because we'll just have the backups to the backups in. This game's going to take everything I got. Don't be a jerk on Twitter. That's a good motto for life, but especially this week. We don't want to, we don't want to, uh, you know, jinx the mojo and the football gods and all that kind of stuff. Don't tempt fate. Head down. What is it? Wait, wait, you're, not, you're not ready for if TCU loses this game that everything's wrong with the season? No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm. I. I college football is yes, the I am most important. Yes, I fans. Yes, college football is the most important thing in my life on the list of unimportant things. 
So just enjoy it, soak it up, you know, enjoy every season. This is going to be a great week. We're going to have so much fun with game day, but it is a football game, and it is awesome, and it is delightful, but your whole life is not over, and this season is not over if we do not win on uh, Saturday, even though I think we're going to win on Saturday. So I should mention, I, I, I should backpedal here a second. I'm not talking about all TCU fans. I'm talking about the ones that are, that are the knee-jerk fans that will say the season is a loss if they do lose to West Virginia. What about Speaking Baylor fans knee- saying that the season's a loss after five losses? No, their their season is definitely a loss. Oh, okay, yeah. just making sure. No, it's definitely a loss. Well, their like their they season may- is literally nothing but a loss right now. <laughs> yeah, they're they're nothing but a loss. Is that would that be non undefeated? I think it would be non undefeated. Yes, non undefeated. So it's a non win. It's a fluke for sure. It's definitely a fluke. But it is a non-undefeated. But their season is literally nothing but a loss. So their board yeah, is hilarious right now. Yeah, it kind of is. It kind of is. I felt kind of bad for a few of their reasonable, measured fans until Matt Mosley tweeted out, "You know, enjoy it while you can, Big Twelve, because Matt Rule is going to have us back on top really quick or something like that." I'm like, like what on top of Kansas? You know, uh, ninth or something like that. On top of the Sun Belt. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> Well, let's. I, I want to close with just a couple of quick. Twitter. No, that just popped up in my feed. Somebody oh, retweeted okay. it, and I, I, got you. I, I do not follow Matt Mosley. No, I do not follow Matt Mosley. I have a have a conscience and a soul, and I'm not interested in propaganda. I do follow our Daily Bears, the SB Nation site for Baylor. I, I actually think they do good work, so I do follow them. So, I would like right. to say. Well, maybe I shouldn't, but I am definitely a participant on the Baylor site, but I won't say who I am. <laughs> I'm a splinter cell, and I'm <laughs> I'm gaining the trust of others slowly but surely. And <laughs> you know they're going to start this, looking up this... your IP now. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, that's great. That, that little that little ten second sentence you just blurbed out is going to be played somewhere on a Baylor site and they're going to start looking at smoky show. They're going to have it on yeah. Waco ESPN on, on Monday. It's probably They'll be chasing <laughs> That'd be hilarious. <laughs> that would be great. That would be great. Oh man. All right. A couple of quick things from this last weekend. I just want to highlight Mike Leach took down USC. Wasn't that great? His quote was when they rushed the field. This is like Woodstock, except everybody's got their clothes on. <laughs> I, I wish we could. I wish we could just add a Wazoo to the Big Twelve, just to have him in our our ecosystem. I absolutely love Mike Leach. He is he is everything that's right about uh, college football. He's, Baylor he's took like another the, L. You know, Mike Leach is like the uh, real life Ron Swanson without the mustache. He just speaks his mind how what he feels. And uh, I, I love it, man. I love the fact. Hey, I, I fell asleep during that game, and I woke up at the right time, right as soon, as, right like a minute before they kicked the field goal, and they won that That's game. That's great. You're living well, man. That's great. Yeah, Wazoo won. That was great. Mike Leach just just enjoyed. If you're not following Mike Leach on Twitter, you are missing out on some good stuff. K State beats Baylor. Baylor's zero and five. Baylor's season is this is this season is literally a loss.
still true, still funny. I, I unfortunately sat through the melt or the the boring game of Texas Iowa State. I wanted Iowa State to win. Texas won. Does the Iowa State quarterback? Does Jacob Parks? Does he have a mullet? Is that a mullet or is that a man bun that's not un, uh, unbunned? Yeah, okay. Hippie hair and he looks haircut. like. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he yeah. He just needs a haircut. Yeah, that's kind of what it is. The boy needs. A I'll haircut. tell you what. If if he could hit a post pattern, Iowa State wins that game going away. I mean, he just oh, he, he he. I don't ever like pinpoint a game on one one person, but man, he might have. But you will hear. Caught, he might have single handedly cost them that game as bad as he played. Yeah. And can we just all agree, man? That offense is trash for Texas. They have so I'm many surprised they went with uh, Buchel again after. I know. That's really weird. Sam looks so. Ellinger looks so good against USC. And then they just roll Buchel back out there. And he is not a running quarterback the way that, that, uh, that Herman wants to build his offense around that. That's just. Uh, man, they're going to have. They got so much content for talk radio in, in Austin right now. That, that's a terrible choice. Yeah, I was kind of yeah, kind of wondering why they put didn't run out Sam because I said it last week. The way he played against USC, he just had a certain moxie about himself, and uh, yeah. he just seemed like he was so confident. Even though he's a true freshman, he's just out there just gunslinging it, man, and just just wanting to play football like he's in the backyard throwing around a football. And that's really the kind of quarterback they need right now. That's kind of the guy they've been missing since Colt McCoy's been there. You know, since since he was there, just just a gunsling quarterback, just making all kinds of plays. And I see that with Sam. He's a man. He's a really really good quarterback. I was shocked to see uh, Shane go out there. Yeah, well, you're not in Mensa, so who are you to judge? What's that? That's right. So you're not in Mensa like Tom Herman, so you can't judge. Yeah, Yeah, I can't. I'll I'll just let it slip that you said Case McCoy is not an elite quarterback, and we'll move on. Um, Uh, No, I didn't say Case. I said Colt McCoy. No, I know, but Case has played since since Colt, and I I think he's elite. (laughs) Hey, no, listen. Okay, can I tell you a story real quick? Do we got a couple minutes? We're, we're, we're almost at an hour, so yeah, go okay. ahead. Okay, if so you made it this far, you're listening in the next year, seven minutes. Year, so go year, ahead. Years ago, years ago, Jeremiah and myself went out to Brownwood, Texas, or not Brownwood, Graham, Texas, to see Brownwood play Graham. Casey Pawhall was a was a senior quarterback, and there was a junior quarterback for Graham named Case McCoy. Brad McCoy was the head coach out there at Graham at the time, so we went out there just to see Casey, and. Uh, that night, Casey threw four interceptions and he fumbled two times. He had six turnovers by himself. Okay. But oh, gosh. Case McCoy was just throwing up these. It was like watching PlayStation. You know, when you play against a kid and you stop them for the first two downs and they just decide to pick Hail Mary on third down and somehow it gets completed. That was basically their offense that night. And when I found out that he was going to Texas, I said, how in the heck did that kid get a D1 scholarship? Because what I saw with him at Graham, I, I was amazed. If his if his last name wasn't McCoy, he would not have been at Texas. And that you know, Casey might be the Case McCoy might be the best guy in the world and nicest guy in the world, but just talents talently speaking, I mean, I was very surprised that that kid got a, a major scholarship offer like Texas and uh, had a chance to play against. Uh, some Big 12 opponents, and hey, he did pretty good against TCU when they won 30 to seven. I will say that. 
beat o, beat OU in the Red River that year too. I yeah, think. yeah. So, so he's he's yeah. he's uh, he did something I never did. Never stepped foot on a D one football field. So I guess I can't talk too much smack about him. Oh, I can. I but have, he, but it was, I have. It was after a game. <laughs> after a couple of uh, cases of bourbon. Uh, <laughs> no, the best thing about Case McCoy is he's you know he's like a second coach on the field. You know, he's just a you know real lunch pail kind of guy. Yeah. He's got good yeah. head and good feet. You know, watches he just, a lot of film. You know, he's film junkie. Watches a lot of film. He's a g- first first guy to the gym, last guy to leave. That's the best Absolutely. part about him. Real high character yep. kid. Yep. Yeah, leader real on the field, coach on the field. Yep, yep. High motor. Yep. High motor. Oh, yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yep. Definitely. All those things. Yep. Yep. All right, guys. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. We've got a you know great hour long episode here of the Frogcast. I want to add a couple things here at the, as we close out. Um, if you haven't subscribed to us yet, we'd love for you to go on iTunes and subscribe to the Frogcast. Give us a rating. We would love to be on there. Our downloads are just continuing to grow. We know the season and our and our is going to contribute to that. Our partnership with Twenty Four Seven has really helped with that. And for some of you, you've been with the Frogcast for three years now. We really appreciate you guys listening. If on the off chance you see us in our Twitter feed with the link to the show, on Facebook with our link to the show. Please share that. Maybe retweet that. Maybe recommend it to a frog fan that you know and say, hey, if you don't listen to this, these guys are putting out great content. We would love to see our numbers continue to rise so that our frog family can be larger, our 24-7 network can be larger, and you can be in on all that's going on with TCU football on and off the field. Well, guys, I had a great show tonight. I really enjoyed this. Hopefully, when we get back together next week, we'll be talking about a great game day um, at college at TCU, talk about a great environment there at Eamon Carter Stadium, and hopefully a big win over the Western Virginia Mountaineers. I would love to beat Red Bull Dana. It'd be great to get a big win, continue to climb up the, the rankings here for the 2017 season. So for Daniel Southern and Jeremy Clark, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thank you so much for listening to the Frogcast.